0: The reading this evening is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. If you wish to follow in the church Bibles, it's on page 966. Matthew 2, 13. When the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. Take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's um, take a moment to pray, shall we? Father, we ask that you will open our ears and our hearts to hear your voice and then to obey it. Amen. You may have thought as that reading was being read that this is potentially quite a difficult passage. Um, So much so that I uh, took the opportunity of um, picking one or two brains during my Um, preparation, um, many of which were were really useful comments. Um, Anyway, um, quite a complex story, but actually um, I find it breaks down neatly into two. Um, So we're going to begin with just the story so far as a kind of introduction and a background. And then I want to pick out for you two kings. Two kings, two journeys, two prophecies, two men, and two options. Two kings, two journeys, two prophecies, two men, and two options. So let's start with the story so far. The story so far is that we three kings of Orient are arriving in Jerusalem and They've come because they've seen the star in the east and they know that a king has been born to the Jews and so naturally they go to the capital city, Jerusalem, they go to the palace where they'd expect the king to be residing and they visit Herod and much consternation results from their visit as we shall see a bit later. As a result of that visit they are told to go to Bethlehem and they arrive To see the child in Bethlehem and they present their gifts. You've all got pictures of all your Christmas cards flashing before your eyes at the moment uh, with wise men kneeling at the manger. And having presented their gifts, we don't know how long they stayed for 10 minutes, 10 hours, 10 weeks, we don't know. But having decided it was time to go home, they are warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod and they leave by another route. When Herod realises that the wise men are not coming back, he is angry, in capital letters, spitting feathers probably, and so he orders soldiers to go to Bethlehem and to kill all the baby boys two years old and under according to the time that the star appears. But an angel warns Joseph in a dream and says, get up, take the child, and go to egypt and so they escape to egypt where he stays until herod's death you've just had this read to you Um, and after a while probably a couple of years or so uh, the angel tells him that he may return and he does not go back to judea because of herod's son is now reigning there and instead he returns to nazareth (coughs) Quite a simple, straightforward story that probably you all know. But let me pick out some of these twos out of here. And let's start with two kings. Because this is the heart of the issue. There are two kings. And it's a confrontation between the two of them. The first is, of course, Herod. Herod, who was known, who was appointed Who liked to be known as King of the Jews? He is in fact descended from Edomites. You'll know that that means he's actually descended from Esau rather than Jacob. You remember Jacob and Esau back in the Old Testament? (coughs) But at some point, the Edomites, for the large part of it, have converted to Judaism, and Herod has been brought up as a Jew, and he considers himself a Jew. And that's possibly significant. At some point in his adult life, he is appointed a tetrarch, that's a kind of a Roman governor, uh, by Mark Antony, no less. Most of us have heard of Mark Antony. And the Senate in Rome appoints him as King of the Jews in approximately 39 BC. And he returns to Judah and he has to fight some battles in order to establish his kingdom. But uh, there's a suggestion that, in fact, he took the title of king upon himself. He decided he would be a king. He publicly identified himself as a Jew, but his extremely lavish lifestyle and some of the things that he got up to that we'll mention a bit later on are not particularly in keeping with his Jewish profession. And He is pretty much despised by the religious authorities of the time, the Jewish religious authorities. King Herod. And the other king, of course, is Jesus, the real king of the Jews. But this king is a lowly king. He is born in a stable, he's just a baby, he's not even an adult. If we were to go on to, uh, as I think we are over the next uh, few weeks and th- looking at the book of Philippians, we find that Paul in the book of Philippians says that Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Notice that Herod expects the Messiah to come. He says to the wise man, he says, well, where is the Christ going to be born? Herod, as a Jew with a Jewish background and a Jewish upbringing, expects the Messiah to come. He doesn't know the details, probably doesn't read his Bible. But he says, where is he born? And he's told that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So here is one king feeling very self-important claiming his own title, getting himself established, fighting battles to set up his kingdom, claiming to be a Jew up against a baby who is the real king, who is a Jew, who comes with God's authority, God with us. The battle of two kings, which leads us on to two journeys Two journeys. The wise men leave Herod, they go to Bethlehem, the star continues to guide them, and they find the child and they offer their gifts, but are warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod. And so they do not return to Herod, but they return home to their own country via another route. That's the first journey. A journey that precipitates, initiates, if you like, a second journey. Not returning to Herod creates a major upset because Herod is angry. You see, he doesn't really want to go and worship this new baby king, although that's what he said he wanted to do. He actually wants to re-establish his own kingship, establish his own throne. And to do that, he wants to destroy this baby, and so he gives the order to destroy all the babies under the age of two. The first journey precipitates the second journey. And the second journey is that, warned by God in a dream, Joseph gets up in the middle of the night, probably while it's still dark, because darkness will cover their escape, and he sets Mary and the baby, maybe on a donkey, we don't know that, and they set off for Egypt. He leaves straight away. He doesn't wait to say, well, let's see what happens in the morning because the soldiers may be here by then. Bethlehem's not that far from Jerusalem. He leaves straight away on the second journey going down into Egypt and at some point the soldiers arrive and carry out their ghastly deed. But Jesus is gone. Two kings trying to establish their throne, two journeys, which leads us to two prophecies. You'll have seen them or heard them as they were being read. Matthew, in his Gospel, refers to more Old Testament prophecies than Mark, Luke and John put together. You see, Matthew is a Jew and he is mainly it seems, principally writing to Jews. It helps our understanding of Scripture if we understand who is writing, who they are writing to, and not only that, but the style of writing that they're writing in. So there are plenty of different styles of writing in our Bibles, and we mustn't necessarily read them all the same way. But there's narrative, there's history, there's poetry, there's letters, there's prophecy, different styles of writing. And it's helpful, perhaps, to know that Mark, it seems, seems to be mainly writing to Romans. Luke seems to be mainly writing to Greeks. John is writing to everyone. But Matthew is writing to Jews. And therefore, Matthew goes to quite a lot of trouble as he writes his gospel to make links or highlight links between the events that he records and the Old Testament that was the scriptures that the Jews had. So, in verse 15, if you happen to be following it, Matthew says, he says, It was fulfilled by by the prophet. It fulfilled what the prophet said. Out of Egypt I have called my son. It's a reference back to Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. Where God is speaking about Israel as my son. And how God rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt under Moses. first prophecy second prophecy is in verse 17 two verses later where matthew says it was fulfilled by the prophet jeremiah Rachel weeping for her children the quote is a bit longer than that it's a reference to jeremiah 31:15 where god is speaking of the sorrow that those who watched their children primarily their young people they're brave young men being taken away into captivity in exile in Babylon. And as they watch their children taken away, they are weeping for the loss of their children. Now neither of these, you'll probably agree with me, seem to be very direct prophecies. They're not in the same category as the Micah prophecy which predicted where Jesus would be born for instance which is very specific. These are kind of vague. And yet the apostles, and it occurs in a number of places, particularly through the Gospels, the apostles often saw parallels, sometimes called types, sometimes called shadows, parallels between things that were spoken in the Old Testament that with hindsight illuminate for them and therefore for us Something of the work of Christ or the work of God. So, for example, Egypt had been a place of refuge for God's people. It was such in the time of famine when uh, Jacob uh, went down into Egypt. Now, it becomes a place of refuge for Jesus and his family. There was a considerable Jewish population in Alexandria in northern Egypt at that time. And uh, those people would probably have welcomed another Jew turning up looking for somewhere to stay. And God went on to rescue his own people from the slavery of Egypt and to make them his people. And now God is going to rescue. His people from a slavery much worse than the the Egyptian slavery, from the slavery of sin. And he was going to do it through his son, somewhat like a new Moses. So it's not a prophecy that's very direct, but it's a prophecy that Matthew particularly draws this parallel between what was happening to Jesus and what had happened earlier. Rachel, on the other hand, the second prophecy, was often seen as the sort of sorrowful mother of Israel. She was now dead and in her tomb in Ramah, which is not very far from Bethlehem, and Ramah itself would have witnessed the sorrow of the captives being taken away into Babylonian exile, but now it kind of parallels what was happening in Bethlehem because each setback... Apparent setback from Egypt, going into Egypt, from going into Babylon, is an opportunity for a return, an opportunity for renewed faithfulness to God, an opportunity for a return to blessing, a return to a restored nation. And Matthew uses a type, these types and these shadows, these parallels or allusions which would have been fully understood by his Jewish readers because that was a style of their interpretive method. In other words, God has been at work in the life of the nation and now he's saying God is still at work and out of that work God is bringing good. So two kings, two journeys, two prophecies, two men two men we've met one of them already but there's a contrast between these two men the first of these two men is Herod and Herod sets out to kill the baby Jesus it raises a number of difficult questions doesn't it it raised some difficult questions over our tea table when Ronnie and I were talking about it a couple of days ago most of the questions start with why or why not Interestingly, this is an event that's not recorded in history anywhere else. And yet it fits exactly with our knowledge of who Herod himself was. He was a brute. He was very insecure in his kingship and his reign. So much so that when he won the battles that got him the kingship in the first place, he slaughtered the remnants of the family that had been in power before him. At one stage, he killed half of the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish ruling authority. On one occasion, he slew 300 court officers at one time. He executed his own wife. I don't recommend it, gentlemen. He executed his mother-in-law. Don't recommend that either. He executed three of his own sons. One of the Caesars back in Rome said it would be better to be Herod's pig than his son. Because being a Jew he wouldn't eat pork so he wouldn't kill his pig. All because... He was afraid for his own kingship. He was afraid that these people were plotting against him, trying to take his throne for him. So he dealt with them ever so severely. And here now is another threat, a new king. And it's entirely in character for Herod to try and dispose of him too. Remember that Herod was brought up as a Jew and claimed to be a Jew. And he would therefore have known the law. What God decreed, which included, thou shalt do no murder. Contrast Herod with Joseph. Joseph, on the other hand, was a righteous man. Chapter 1, verse 19. He too was a Jew. And he too knew God's law. That's why he wanted to divorce Mary quietly. Because he knew what the consequences for her would be. But the difference between Herod and Joseph is. That Joseph chose to obey. What God said. Which brings us. From two kings and two journeys and two prophecies and two men. To two options. Two options which challenge us today. As much as they challenged Herod and Joseph. God gives us freedom. He gives us a tremendous amount of freedom. And He lets us use our freedom how we choose. There is the freedom to choose to obey God's instruction, as Joseph chose to do. There is the freedom to choose to break God's instruction as Herod knowingly did. But whether we break his law or obey his law, there will be consequences. Consequences for us and potentially consequences for other people around us as well. One of the interesting things I've discovered in my um, comparatively recent visits into Belmarsh Prison, visiting prisoners there, is the Sort of awakening moment that comes when they realize not simply that what they've done affects them and puts them in prison, but the effect it has on wife and children and family and community. And as they begin to see that wider picture, it has a dramatic effect on them. Obeying God's laws and instruction has good consequences for us as we obey. It has good consequences for others just as Joseph's obedience had good consequences for Jesus' safety. Disobeying God's law can have consequences for us and for others as indeed it had for a number of children in Bethlehem. Which leaves me to ask what are the options that God offers you and I? There will probably be tell me if you if i'm wrong on this but there will probably not be an angel arrive in a dream one night it may happen i'd love to hear about it but that does not mean that god does not speak or has not spoken <coughs> what about love the lord your god with all your heart there's an option What about forgive one another as you have been forgiven? There's an option. What about go and make disciples? There's an option. What about bring up your children in the instruction of the Lord? What about work hard for your boss? As we go back to work this week, some of us. What about, well, you fill in the blank. The question is... Here's a thought for the new year. Will I obey or disobey? Will I be a Herod or Joseph? God sets some options before us and asks us what we are going to do. Let's take a moment to pray. We sung it a few moments ago. Perhaps you can make it your own as well. Lord, send revival and start with me. For I am one of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the King. Your glory I have glimpsed. As we come into a new year, Lord, send revival. And start with me. Amen.